What's up, Carlo? Jam Jenko, how are you? Very good. We got Jen. Oh, you're bringing her up? What's yep. up, Jen? GM. Yo, thank you for doing this. This is so cool. This is so, this is going to be so, so, so much fun. We usually go for 45 minutes or an hour, but like whatever time you have, we always have stuff to talk about. Um, I don't know if anyone's coming in Another lawyer is like doing a show right now about the banks, but we'll do our recording and like have a really cool combo if it's cool with you. Fuck yeah, yeah. I'm in. Where are you in the in the world right now? Like at least what time zone? I'm in the metaverse and I live on the gen zone, so <laughs> right. you know. I just hope it's not too early. Um, and I know everyone's traveling. Uh, no, we're good. We we what did we do? We sprung forward, so it's later. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. even know. I I can't figure that out <laughs> since I'm a kid. I still can't figure that shit out. I'm like, when are we getting rid of daylight savings time? It happened years ago, and then they kept switching the clock. I know. Like, it's a big lie. Everything I know is a lie. I don't, and that's basically what I want to talk to you about. Like, I mean, how do we navigate this? I love that. Yeah, feel that. Uh, It feels like everything's a lie. So I'm definitely with you on that one. Yeah. Um, Carlo Carlo has our, 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 intro we're not yet to the point of like intro music Bernals has joined us who's like a really really smart smart dude I'll, I'll bring him up and, and Fugio and others but um what we do when we have kind of an artist builder interesting person as a guest we just kind of talk to him um I'm very interested in your history before kind of crypto and nfts because I, I you're just such a compelling person and and what you find interesting about this space and where do you think it's it's going are kind of the major themes but along the way like you just have such a cool interesting perspective i just anything you're down to chat about um you lead the combo you know if something when when the uh tornado cash came out you were vocal like you've always had a a cool perspective on a big breath of issues so i want to get into it but carlo do your intro before i get i jump the gun and just dive in and and have a combo with jen love it love it hey gm jen welcome everyone to lex line brought to you by our friends at rug radio featuring yours truly carlo and jenko we usually discuss the latest major developments in web3 blockchain and nft law but We do also love to mix in special guests, and today we have a special guest, so while I'm doing this intro, if you wouldn't mind retweeting the space, as always, nothing we talk about should ever be considered legal or financial advice. You have a specific legal question, you should consult a lawyer, you should do it privately, not on a recorded Twitter space, because we do record these, and we do broadcast them out, so if you come up to speak, you're going to be featured on Apple iTunes Podcasts or Spotify, and uh, you can always find us there at LexLine. Jenko, I'm going to hand it to you to start the conversation with Jen. Jen was on my panel down at Metaverse Miami, so I had the pleasure of meeting you in person, Jen, and it's great to talk with you again. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. GM, of course. That was was a fun one. It was great to – you were super prepared, and I appreciated that. (laughs) You were super prepared. Um, Jen, I don't don't know where to begin, but – 
just every time I hear your voice on Spaces or Clubhouse or whatever, you're always just uh, teaching and giving interesting perspectives. My kind of friendship with you, I I, I want to say, like, was Clubhouse, right? Like, and your voice always kind of brings me back to that. What's your experience? How did you get into, it was kind of Clubhouse for me. How did you get into this NFT world? And like, what was that story or experience like? Yeah, it was Clubhouse for me as well. Um, I was looking for censorship solutions. And so I understood the concept of decentralization. I Googled that many times. Somehow never fell down the path of crypto. Uh, Shout out algorithms. And I went into a random room with three people called Developing Decentralized Systems. And they started talking about Bitcoin. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, in the wrong place. I hate capitalism. I hate finance bros. Did not realize it was a Bitcoin room. I was looking for censorship solutions. And they were like, no, 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 you're in the right place. And I read the Bitcoin white paper and the Cypherpunk manifesto. And then I fell down the rabbit hole. That's really cool. Where do you, where's that instinct come from? Like, is it uh, personal experiences that you want to share? Or is it just kind of innate? Or is it principled? Where's the instinct to be censorship, fight against censorship and kind of individual rights. Um, where does that come from for you? Yeah, I had some large Instagram accounts deleted um, in the beginning of 2020. Um, I make sculptures on dildos and it's crazy because like when I first started making them, that was totally fine to put on Instagram. But like, you know, a picture of myself in a bikini, uh, I couldn't. Now they've freed the nipple and it's like completely the opposite. So really the conversation started there. And then in the beginning of COVID, I started a nonprofit with a friend. Um, and, you know, we were getting thank you letters from the government at the same time as posting them and then getting those banned for misinformation and uh, I, I used to work in the entertainment industry and so all my clients like we toured the world and our perspective like so grateful right that we got to have this really unique perspective of the world and have our views expanded you know every single night and then uh, also <laughs> during COVID right like there's all these narratives that it was like if you're not saying this online you're canceled and one of my clients called me he's like I don't get it and I was like, what do you mean you don't get it? And then I logged into his Twitter and looked at his feed and then thought about where he lived. And I was like, you are literally being fed a different reality than I am. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of other things. Um, And essentially, I just was like really, you know, when we were all locked in the world and before voice apps, it was like, how you can't Google something if you don't even know to question that it exists, right? And I think a lot of us are probably aware of, you know, uh, how algorithms feed us information and you're really only shown like a 2% positive reinforcement of what it's already believed to be true. They're optimized to keep you on here versus learning and diversity of information and critical thinking and I'm, I was just like watching, you know, this world that I had existed in where we all got to like talk in person and there was nuance turn into like this very, this is one way and this is the other way and there's no in between. And I was like, this fucking sucks. 
do you that's that's amazing um i love that that topic i've done some work on that topic it's infiltrated some litigation i've been involved with like these the social media and how it's engineered to not you know connect us with our friends but engineered to a keep us on the app for more seconds and minutes and then kind of divide or introduce us to um, arguments that seem to be, you know, one or the other that most people just aren't informed on. Talk more about that. Like, what are the societal consequences of what you saw? Like, when we, if we're out, not out, you know, meeting each other and, and the focus goes to these social media apps, what's going to be the long-term consequence of those years where the, that, or, or all of these years where that's a big part of our lives? It's a big part of a lot of people's lives. I think we're already experiencing that, right? Like everything is so polarized and everything is like politicized and everything is like, you know, there's no nuance. There's no conversation. I think like cancel culture versus accountability culture. Um, But then beyond that, it's like, you know, often the groups that have their voices removed and, Uh, This is, I was also, um, during COVID, like, uh, the editor of Avian Magazine hit me up and was like, hey, we have to do the online board show. Like, I don't know how busy you are, but like, I need an editor. And I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. It sounds fun. Um, And actually, they got so many press releases for like every internet legislation case, especially like at the time, Section 230, which is now coming back into it. Um, But that was, you know, a huge topic. And like, I already see, right, how, like, there are certain words, right? And it's literally dictated by credit card companies. <laughs> and if you say those, like, your account can get flagged. So there's so many people who, especially, like, activists and, you know, people that are educators and really just doing their job and they're consistently targeted by these algorithms. And once you've been targeted, it's, hard to come back and I know like I've lost accounts and it's frustrating and I'm also annoying and have the privilege to like not go to jail for what I'm saying at the current moment Um, but not everyone in the world has that so like you know I I think the beauty of crypto and web3 in the way that it was designed is it's supposed to be this global instantaneous permissionless peer-to-peer system and like I don't know I you can only know as much as you're exposed to. And I I just think like, I don't know, I I think there's a lack of critical thinking sometimes. And it's because a lot of people really aren't exposed to anything that uh, contradicts what they are being told or believe or whatever, you know, rabbit hole that they fall down. That's such a complete answer. I don't know. Here's a, here's a, here's a, tangent and if you don't have a strong opinion or it's not worth the, t- the discussion time we, we can move on but I don't know where I stand on section 230 it's a very nuanced like issue where are you like how do you see it what's your point of view on that I mean I think straight up getting rid of it is an awful idea right um, and there's a lot of like research that goes to show that even Wikipedia which would be 
considered a small site uh, in the case, like would not be able to continue and be able to moderate. Right. And so, you know, you have the right saying to get rid of it for one reason. You have the left saying like, oh, it's because like we're trying to like stop big tech monopolies and like all it would do is create, you know, the only people that would afford to be able to continue on would be Google and Amazon. Um, I don't think, and I haven't seen like the most current stuff. I know there was just like Google versus Gonzalez and um, Twitter versus, I don't know how to pronounce it. And I tried to listen to those and it was actually funny because at one point someone in the court was like, you know, we're not like the internet experts here. And everyone laughed. And I was like, <laughs> at least you guys admit it. But, yeah. um, you know, there might be ways to make it better. I think ultimately we're at this point where it all comes down to regulation, which all comes down to money. And ultimately humans can't keep up, nor should they with moderation. So then you have bots doing it and bots have bias. And so, I mean, that's why I love the blockchain because while yes, like there is going to be the same systems that are applied and I really want to figure out solutions to all this. Right. But like, this is the first time in history, like modern history, where we can all document what we're experiencing in real time and have every single different perspective there. And so I know everyone loves, you know, crypto for money or like, you know, just to flip NFTs. But I think for documenting history and like showing what's actually going on, right, you have books being taken out of schools, you have things that you could search on any social media app, you know, two months ago that two months later, it's all gone. Um, I get stuff removed all the time. And I think, yeah, it, it's cool to have something that is a little bit better. And I don't want to say completely censorship resistant, because it's really not. But yeah. I don't even know where to go. You've, you've covered so much. What are the things, there's a lot of debates, whether it's, you know, royalties or structure of, of the, the, the financial, financial layer of NFTs or IP or even venture capital issues um, we're seeing play out. It seems like they don't bring the value that it seems that, that, that they promised. Are there, are there, do you have strong opinion on, on those things? To me, the royalty debate um a lot of people a lot of creators um have articulated it is is there anything to add to the conversation or nuances that that you aren't I'm hearing so over the royalty yeah. debate okay. um honestly i was like wake me up when it ends <laughs> um, but i i think look like there it's a problem and and this is something that you know when i came into this space everyone's like ah it's censorship resistant oh my god royalties for life blah 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 and i was like you're all lying to me and i don't know anything yet and that's why i went down the tech rabbit and hole you, and, you and so i already knew that you couldn't enforce it in smart contracts in their current form um and this is like a permissionless ecosystem there are people that are going to build around it so one i think it's bullshit that companies are lying to people because I didn't come here for that. I think it's annoying that the entire space has to change the way they do their smart contracts and make it less immutable uh, so that they can change at the whim of a large corporation's, uh, you know, 
new policies, right? Like, I think that's fucking stupid. I didn't come here for that. Like, I've spent enough time stressing about Instagram's terms of service and then just realized I didn't care anymore and I was going to find my own way. Um, So I think people need to be realistic in the fact that they can't be protected currently. um, And maybe that will change. I think, you know, we can incentivize people through rewards. But yeah, it's not even a conversation because there's not an option right like there's yeah. not an option within the technology and i think we can create a culture around it but there's other things that need to happen first yeah uh, it was really a segue question into broader kind of future like what's the future of this what's the purpose of this if we have to you know if a project needs to create an, an alter, uh, uh, a business revenue model outside of kind of revenues, if an artist has to do everything that you talked about, become a technologist as well, just to, to combat the ever-changing marketplace gamesmanship where they're just trying to steal more percentages from an artist. Like if the promise of, of censorship resistance and the promise of royalties are bullshit is there a what do is this the move for an artist what's the future is this a compelling atmosphere for people who want to create on the cutting edge (sighs) okay does that make any sense yes and i have two answers and my first is my really idealized answer, which is like, yes. And I don't think you need to become a technologist, right? I run weekly spaces helping artists. I have a lot of free information on how to like own your own smart contract. I've done projects that literally like pay for people to do that. So you can pretty much do. It's getting know, easier. There's, there's no code sure. solutions and, okay. and you don't fully need to be a technologist. You need to put some time into learning it. Yes. But like you needed to do that to set up your Etsy store or, you know, whatever it's been as, as things have gone on. Um, is this a compelling environment for everyone? Um, I I think we need to work on it and I don't like to say that, but I've worked in, you know, music sports in the adult industry. And I will say by far that this one is the worst, um, just with treatment to people. And there are people that like, I, love this technology and I want like when I first learned about it I'm like I'll go door to door if I need to teach everyone we need decentralized devices for dummies we need mesh work networks for dummies if we want this truly decentralized and to work like I know I'm gonna get stopped from talking about this on the internet one day but like I will knock on every single person's door in the world and teach them right like I love this technology and I think it is like the solution to a lot of humanity's problems um at the same time Definitely, we we have a long way to go with culture and respecting people and especially minorities. And, you know, there's a lot of performative and like, oh, we need more of these people. But like, treat the people that are already here well, right? Like, and, and once again, like, that's me being maybe idealistic, but it also shouldn't be idealistic to want to create an ecosystem that actually changes the problems of web two, right? Like we have a chance to do this better. And I don't think that we need to recreate capitalism and bullshit on the blockchain. Yeah, that's, I, I'm going to give time for the people in the audience and Carlo, but my, 
I think you've hit everything. I just, is there a solution that you see that isn't being talked about enough on anything, whether it's the culture issue that you talked about, that some of the technology hurdles, what do you think is low hanging fruit and possible that isn't happening that, that should be? I mean, straight up just being nice and inclusive, right? And like doing your own work to do that. If someone is, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great resources there on how to be an ally. And uh, if if someone is raising attention to an issue, like, you know, educate yourself on it and change your actions. Um, I think like being intentional and there's a lot of great people in this space that have hit me up and, you know, pay me. Um, and you should be paying everyone in this space. It's all about giving value to participants. Right. But like, that have hit me up that are like, Hey, we acknowledge that we are white men and we want to do better. So like, you know, we, we, want someone overseeing like everything that we're doing and and making sure we're being inclusive and like that's cool right like I appreciate that um and you know I I think like if we stop talking about it so much like I hate the whole like women of web three thing because it just is annoying um so yeah I I think the low-hanging fruit is just like learn how to be a decent person and easier said than done maybe um I also think just like you know, this ecosystem is small and it's definitely an echo chamber and uh, trying to get yourself outside that bubble and, and really like, I always go back, like the only buzzwords I like are the ones that are like in the Bitcoin white paper. I don't even hold that much Bitcoin. I learned about crypto in uh, 2021. I wish I had way more, but like, you know, peer to peer, right? So like help each other and like, I, I genuinely like everyone's trying to make like all these like mass adoption things, but truly like there's so much depth to this space and everyone's going to have a different use case. Right. And if you can spend a few hours talking to a friend or a few friends and teaching them, and then they're going to teach their friends. If you can, you know, give crypto or give an NFT to get someone started, like that's how we build this space based off of, culture versus you know things are pumping and how many texts did I get this morning from people that you know were like you're crazy for a year and then it was in the headlines like okay I want to learn and then they're like oh it's dead and now they're like okay I want to learn again and you know um that's cool like the information is here when you're ready but like I can't even tell the difference between a bull market and a bear market except for like how many bots I have to block a day that are like tagging me in spam links, you know? I I love it. The price of ETH. And I think that's great for everyone's mental health. Yo, I love that. Thanks. I really do appreciate your time. Um, And I'll give Carlo some time and then he'll probably open it up to folks in the, in the audience. It's really cool to to catch you whenever I catch you on spaces or clubhouse or, or you come in here. Um, it, it, I, I appreciate it so much. Like you've taught probably the number one, like on border, like welcoming voice of that 2021. Was it? Um, it, it, it really is legendary to have you here. So thanks a lot, Carlo. Enjoy having your conversation with, with, with our friend, Jen. Thanks, Jenko. Jen, good to talk with you again. Thank you for joining us today.
course. So I want to take it in a little different direction, Jen, but it also ties into what you've been talking about, which is social media, what the feed controls. We are going through an incredibly disruptive moment right now. And it's an interesting thing to observe that as we were watching this bank failure unfold in real time over the weekend, that we were also at the same time seeing this space kind of be the hub of information and what was happening. Because if you go outside of our, like you described it, Web3 echo chamber here on crypto Twitter, largely people did not have any clue what was going on until the mass media picked it up. And that really didn't happen until the Fed intervened. But what was an interesting observation, Jen, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as someone who is pro-decentralization is, is this a wake-up call? Is this essentially the Nakamoto paper part two, where people are really now getting the importance of having a hedge against centralized systems? And is the information that's being put out right now causing panic? Because one of the things that was talked about, and I know this is a long intro, but I want to get your general thoughts on this. One of the things that was reported that was kind of disturbing is that it was actually floated that maybe they should suppress what's being said on social media to avoid bank runs, to avoid people panicking and going to banks that had nothing to do with the Silicon Valley bank collapse, but just panicking in general about the stability of their bank. Um, I think if, panic can be created that quickly that it can cause a bank run the system is broken right and like i mean we saw that with toilet paper in the beginning of 2020 um and yeah i one i when i went down my whole like algorithm what the fuck i created a bunch of tiktok accounts like clean devices different wi-fi different vpns would google different things every day and like create these profiles and then see how their for you page is different. Um, we're, we're different from one another. And uh, I saw a lot of Silicon Valley bank information. It was all over TikTok um, on many different feeds, like just as early as it was on Twitter spaces, if not more. Um, and so I did see the thing about suppressing information. And I mean... It's hard to say because I also thought people were being really dramatic here and maybe I'm like just so desensitized to everything. But I was like, I do not have long term faith in USDC, but because I think it will be used as a pawn for CBDC. And I don't think this is the narrative that would support anything the government wants because like this was a, you know, regulated bank failure for better or for worse. Um, I was watching a different uh, case about TikTok, right? And banning TikTok. And uh, some politician brought up like, you know, there's this petition on TikTok and like how many millions of Americans have seen it and signed it. And, you know, they spend an average of X amount of hours on TikTok and like, don't, want, don't we want them returning to spending their time on like American cable networks, right? And it's like, well, why? You know, there's a lot of information and a lot of things that people have band together by communicating freely. And yes, of course, that challenges like the status quo. And I'm not at all saying fuck the government. 
Um, I'm saying fuck the system. But uh, I do think that, you know, we have a lot of people running this country that did not grow up with the internet. And the financial system was very different where they had faith in, hey, I'm going to save for retirement. And like, I'm going to be able to retire where I don't think we have that security today for the most part. Um, And yeah, I, I don't think look like I don't think information should be censored at the same time. I do think there's a lot of fear mongering and when it's only a small group of people, like especially in crypto, right? I mean, we saw this when like there was like that open sea fishing thing and everyone was like, Oh my God, there's a new open sea hack. It was like right when X2Y2 came out and like everyone was trying to use revoke and then revoke went down. Right. And it's like, there's not that many of us to really cause chaos. And I don't think censoring information should be the way, right? I think there needs to be trust in the system that it's not going to fail. And ultimately, like, I don't know, I'm a millennial. So uh, I've lived through enough unprecedented events, right? It was 9-11, and then sniper, and then uh, you know, the 2008 recession and now another recession, COVID, like every, every year there's a new, like, oh, this will never happen. And then it happens. Um, so I think my expectations are just, yeah, whatever. It's like, do I go pull out all my cash and hide it in the mattress? But like, if the whole financial system fails, I think we have bigger problems and cash under your mattress won't really help you. Um, but uh, this weekend, honestly, made me more bullish on crypto. And I sent everyone, right? Like, I was like, just reread the Bitcoin white paper. Like, remember why this technology was created. And I do think it's a big issue. And like, I understand, right, the legality of it. And especially things like the Patriot Act. And, you know, like, we there's so much control money controls everything and like every law essentially goes back to money and you guys are actually lawyers so you can correct me if I'm wrong but I think that you know like the on-ramp off-ramp system being so controlled like if this was supposed to be a bank for the bankless and people are like oh crypto can help homeless people how how are they gonna get their money first of all let's talk about the hardware they need and like security. But second, let's say you solve that. They don't have an address. They don't have a license. They don't have a bank account. How are they going to get their money off? And like everything is, you know, controlled. Obviously there are peer to peer ways. I don't necessarily, I'm not meeting up with someone, you know, I've, I've heard about the legends of local Bitcoin and, um, as a, yeah, just person who's existed in this world, uh, meeting up with someone for money that I don't know sounds scary. Um, I do know people that have had their bank accounts closed because they deal with crypto. And, and I think we're going to see more of that to agree to a degree. Although, you know, I think banks also just want our money right now. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like considered a high risk thing and, I'm definitely rambling, so you can feel free to shut me up. But I I don't think censoring people is the answer. I think we need a system that we can trust. I uh, I agree. And I, I love your thoughts on the topic. And I think 
the conversation is now, and I was talking about this with Jenko yesterday, I too am more bullish than ever on having taken the time to learn and understand and plant roots in this community because we, we saw what was happening and we were able to understand the broader implications. And I think if you look at what the market is doing today, it kind of confirms that because you see that crypto, especially Bitcoin and Ethereum, are having a tremendous run-up right now at the very same time that there's public sentiment worrying about the contagion effect of this bank crash and how that's going to, uh, this one particular isolated bank incident and how it's going to impact the broader banking system. So you raised your hand because I think there's an interesting point to make here. We're at, we're at a very big inflection point here on crypto adoption and I'm excited. So I wanna hear your thoughts on what you're motivated to do now that we've hit this inflection point to continue to educate and onboard. Yeah, well, I also have a question. It feels like there's not really consequences, right? Like all the depositors were bailed out. So I don't know, that's kind of crazy to me. And it also feels like, hey, if you are within the traditional banking system, the more corrupt you are, as long as you're giving money to the right people, like you're good, you know? And I think that's another kind of unsettling thing um, for many people, but I, I might be missing something, right? But it seems like what could the, you know, what could the possible contagion be if everyone got their money besides investors where like if you are investing that's that's always a risk and that obviously sucks um but i i think people you know have to acknowledge that when they're fucking around with stocks and whatnot um but yeah i I guess to me like one it's frustrating that you know uh crypto is not treated in the same way. I think you look at like what's happening with people that just had their money in Celsius or FTX and I hope there's recourse, although I don't think that it's likely and that seems like it's bullshit. Um, so that's kind of like my question back to you and then I can answer uh, also the second part. Yeah, I think when we talk about what happened with uh, FTX in particular, I think consequences are definitely coming. Um, aggressive prosecution, how far down the chain that's going to go is it remains to be seen, but definitely the, the, the quote unquote low hanging fruit, which are the founders are definitely in the crosshairs. And there's going to be, I predict substantial uh, punishments meted out for what's happened there. You know, you, you look at this fiasco that's happened with respect to the banking situation. This was almost kind of a perfect storm where you didn't necessarily have, and this is debatable. I know that, but you didn't have blatant bad action by banks. You had banks that were thinking that they were doing the prudent thing by putting by putting their risk in treasuries at the same time as the Fed ramping up the interest rates, which was then devaluing the treasuries that they were stuck in, these fixed treasuries at a long-term, at a long-term uh, position. And kind of this blind spot that emerged from this is that the banks have been caught short, the ones that have over-lent aggressively been funding Silicon Valley, got caught short. So now we're in this position where people want someone to pay for this and people are pointing fingers. And I hate the narrative that's going. And Ira, you're up, you're deep in Silicon Valley. I'd love to get your your viewpoint from, from being in that area. 
I, I hate that this is becoming an anti-tech movement that, you know, we need to punish tech for borrowing money. But that seems to be the narrative, which is counter innovation and which is counter to obviously growing what is one of the biggest sectors in this country, which is tech and, and, and the growth of that tech sector. So, Jen, we brought we brought Ira up. I'd love to get your thoughts on this because you are based out there. And, and what are you seeing as the as the long term collateral consequences of what happened this weekend, Ira? Well, first, I have to um, tip my hat to, to Jen, your, your guest, um, you know, an OG for sure, from, especially from the clubhouse days. And so uh, good, good to see you up on the stage, Jen. And uh, I've been watching what you're doing and certainly respect um, you, your onboarding and, and uh, your intellect. So for, thanks for being here. Um, look, uh, I've been in Silicon Valley my entire career. Uh, I know folks who were impacted by it. I have a, a good family friend who actually sits on the board of Silicon Valley Bank. So please accept whatever I'm going to say through that lens as well. I don't represent them, but I certainly have empathy. Um, if I had to keep it sort of simple, um, Silicon Valley is a very unique place. And I use that term to mean tech sector. Um, it's, it's filled with social Democrats who are also economically conservative. Uh, and you know, they're, they're kind of, um, social justice meets incentives and lower taxes and things like that, you know, for tech. And so everyone loves them and hates them. And so they don't have many friends right now. They're kind of like Barack Obama Democrats from 2010. And so you have to take risks in Silicon Valley in order to get rewards. And there's a lot of folks who fail. And right now I'm, tr I'm looking at this and I'm trying to think very little about what happened here had to do with Silicon Valley bank taking risks and giving risky loans. It had to do more with maybe a failure of policy. Things like, you know, how do you balance the policy issues on the $250,000 limit? Do folks who get $5 million in startup capital from a VC who are required to put the five million into that bank, uh, do they sit differently? You know, they have employees. Their employees uh, spend money in California and across the across the world. Um, maybe there shouldn't be a two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit uh, under the FDIC when all you have is a deposit. Should you be taking on? You know, when, when folks seek the safe harbor of a deposit in a bank. Typically, it's 0% historically, okay? But even if it's like a little bit, are they really taking the um, Are they taking on risks of treasuries? They shouldn't be. So you shouldn't be taking on the bank's risks when you deposit for 0% interest money in a bank. And that's kind of the policy issue for me. Um, there should be a safe harbor. And I did tweet that, hey, what if somebody created an app and people mistaken it for like sweeping, but where you load balance 250K and you stack them up for every bank and just say, listen, I don't care what bank is hidden in the background. Just shove 300 banks into this network and give me a 250K times 300 worth of FDIC. Yeah, so sort of spreading your risk across the board. But what about banks? That, 
It's not even spreading the risk across the board. It's literally making it's a philosophically making fun of the entire FDIC thing because, you know, someone could just literally stack them. And I know there are a couple of companies working on it. Someone pointed out Raymond James has something like that. But really, if it's 250k per bank, then aren't you really basically saying, hey, every bank don't even market for folks more than 250k because the one thing that you're giving them is the insurance. We don't care about toaster ovens or anything else. So for me, this thing needs to be fixed on the policy side, um, and there needs to be a way for people to deposit money in a regulated bank and have a safe harbor for it. In terms of mismanagement of banks, there's definitely consequences. As you pointed out, the DOJ, the SEC, um, you know, they're all looking into whether or not there was negligence. Um, you know, I, I don't see any willful misconduct. And uh, they're also looking to see whether or not they should change the regulations so that if, if really there wasn't any negligence, just bad luck, that this sort of thing won't happen again. So that's my opening salvo and uh, happy to hear what others think. Thanks, Tyra. Jen, this goes back to you. And I was I was kind of talking with you a little bit about what you're doing now to pivot as far as education, because this creates an interesting moment for crypto. I think I'm bullish more than ever on the possibilities of crypto. And I think I'm seeing a pattern in, in, the, in the conversation where there's reluctance now to bank with banks that are obviously crypto friendly. And there's now reluctance perhaps to, to be taking risk and loaning out money to VCs and to startups who are funded by these banks. So is crypto have an opportunity here to fill that void? And how are you going to pivot in educating people? Because I think this is an important inflection point where people are realizing maybe it's best, and this isn't financial advice, but it's just, it seems to be the narrative that's out there. Maybe it's best to <laughs> offset your risk in the traditional banking sector by, by having crypto in your, in your wallet of, of, of potential asset allocation. And, and how are you pivoting now that you're seeing this? Because I, I see this as a very big turning point. Yeah, it's, I mean, my financial literacy coming into this space was zero. Um, I always was like, I hate money. I'm going to pay someone to handle all this shit for me, like my taxes, my everything. And honestly, ignorance might be bliss, but knowledge is power. And I'm really grateful that this space has like, taught me so many things. Um, so, you know, with that, I think I'm like, Hey, I've never even thought about having savings. Right. Or like anything besides cash. Like I straight up just didn't understand investing or any of that. And so, uh, I hold a lot of crypto and there's part of me that wants to diversify out. And then everything I'm like, oh, I don't trust any of that shit. Right. Like it's really hard to be like, Oh, I look at all of it and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Um, but with education, I mean, I, I won, uh, Gen F teach is a channel, uh, YouTube subscriptions are always appreciated, but I'm going to teach people how to operate within this space. I'm going to teach them the basics. I'm going to teach them the resources. Um, and yeah, anyone who is like starting anything, you can always reach out to me. I do a lot of like documentation for, other companies and stuff. And, and I think teaching people how it works and what they're interacting with and why, right? Like not, I'm going to buy this cartoon animal and get rich, but like the core principles of why this was created. Um, 
So that's what I'm going to keep doing. I'm not going to ever tell anyone what to do with their money. Um, but certainly like I, and I've even been having this conversation, um, the past week and people that, you know, I want to do like a DeFi for dummies and, and work with people that are in the traditional finance space and, um, help kind of create just like more financial literacy as it goes to crypto. Like I didn't know what short-term capital gains, like any of that stuff, right? There's, there's all these terms that you hear about that, you know, affect things. And even like I, uh, just did like an NFT drop for my birthday and then also put up like a charity fundraiser. And I was like trying to explain to my dad, I was like, yeah, you know, like I have to pay taxes Cause like on the income of the crypto, even though I'm donating all of it and he's like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, but, and, and obviously talk to your own people. Um, but I, I think one, like, you know, none of us want to be regulated, but I think there's clarity within regulation. I've worked with publicly traded companies in this space and, you know, we have a lot of freedom when you know what you can do, right? Like you, you know, publicly traded companies, you have SEC compliance counsel and, and you can get answers and you know what you can do and what you cannot do. And with everything in crypto, like it's still your best guess and your best comparison. So, um, yeah, I, I think like understanding the tools is the most important part. Um, going back to kind of like, you know, my original motivators for getting in this and I I would love to work on things like in the social space here. And I don't really think I've seen anyone do it completely right. I actually think Farcaster um, at ETH Denver, you know, it's, it's a protocol and I don't think I realized that. So at ETH Denver, everyone who got their ticket on chain got like a purple check and then someone else built a feed of just people that were in Denver. And I was like, that's so fucking cool, right? Like that's an application for socials that I see in so many different ways in the future. And like, that's inspiring. But like, I don't know. We saw that Meta, right, is getting rid of their uh, NFT program yesterday, which I'm not surprised. And I've always kind of been under the belief of like, hey, they're never no one coming onto NFTs through Facebook is going to have the, you know, true NFT experience because they're the most scrutinized, you know, internet platform, social platform. And like, I'm sure it also has to do with regulatory stuff. And, and a lot of these conversations that are happening where they're like, we can't add this. Um, and good, stay away. Um, I don't want any, you know, lawsuits from you guys setting precedents, but I think we can look at the past decade and see how our government understands the internet and how they react to it. And I think we can build 10 steps ahead of that. So I'm not saying break laws, but I'm saying there's a lot of things that were maybe written with good intentions that have had really bad implications for the way that we communicate and communicate freely. And so if there's any space that can kind of think outside the box um, and, and really push it there, I think it's here. And so, yeah, I'm excited to just, you know, I did not know what crypto was until January, 2021. So 
I definitely feel like I'm still learning and everyone should still be learning every single day. And there's new things being created every single day. Um, I don't think the way that we are interacting with any of this today will be relevant in, you know, six months to a year from now. Um, but I think understanding where we're coming from in both web two and web three and, you know, having clear values on what you're fighting for, which I always try and relay is the best that you can do. I love it. I've pinned up your, uh, a link to your website in the nest for anyone who wants to follow your videos and what you're doing. I also want to open the floor up to anyone who has any questions before we close for today. Um, I think you, you've touched on a lot of really important points about the fact that financial literacy especially when it comes to decentralized options and when it comes to cryptocurrency and what it can do to empower and to, I think, liberate people. But you also brought up the problem that still needs to get solved, which is even if you've gone through all the hurdles of figuring out how to have an unhosted wallet, figuring out how to uh, buy crypto and put it in that wallet, figuring out how to securely store it so that it's in a hardware wallet, you still have the problem of how to off-ramp off that into fiat, which is still the universal currency. Until we crack that problem, hard to see how we're going to have mass adoption, because if a, if a fraction of a cryptocurrency can't buy a loaf of bread in trying financial times, and we, we are seeing hyperinflation and all kinds of concerns about the stability of banks and the dollar and so forth. So what is the, what is the, what's the move that you see that we can do to help those who are underserved in the banking system and who don't have the sophistication, unfortunately, to understand how to get in and out of this technology easily? Is there something grassroots that you can see that we can do to fix that problem, Jen? I mean, not financial or legal advice, but you know, you can always do things peer to peer. Um, there are ways that you can do it and actually, uh, met someone and I'll probably share about this that I've actually known for a while, but they're working on an app where you can straight up use crypto to pay your bills. Like they convert to USDC for you. Um, and you don't actually have to do that. And I'm sure there are KYC and, and things you have to go through. Um, but I'm not positive. So, uh, stay tuned, but you know, I, I think there, there are definitely ways, um, and it depends where you live and, and what you're doing, but do I think we need better ways? Yes. And I think that comes down to building and educating and educating, not just to people who are interested in this space, but people outside of it. You know, I was in DC for the past two months. I, uh, went on Bumble, Tinder and, or no, I'm banned from Tinder, Bumble, Raya and uh, Hinge and matched with like every single person in the government that I thought could have anything to do with crypto policy just to like start a conversation. Um, so, you know, uh, that's grassroots, but no, I, I think the more that we talk about it and, uh, the more that we just continue to share good information and elevate good information, um, and, and really like act as a community like I don't know I, I do wish and and this is something that actually maybe you guys and and we could have a different conversation about this right but like you see Brian Armstrong like tweeting about like all these things with you know calling to the government and 
in any other social issue, political issue, right? You're whoever's like the leader in this conversation is like, hey, here's who you hit up in the government. Here's what you write. Here's what bills, you know, you're asking for. Here's what you say. Here are the numbers that you call. And I think we need calls to action. Um, and maybe it's that no one knows what the best action is to protect this space. And I'm sure people have different opinions of how best to protect this space. But it's as a decentralization maxi, I also have to acknowledge that we live in a centralized world, right? And so it's how do we find that peace and that way together? And I think like people need direction. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would love to see more actionable steps that the community can take to continue to protect and foster growth in this community instead of you know, watching misinformed uh, dinosaurs, I was going to be nice, but I'm not going to do it, uh, make decisions that negatively impact all of us. Jen, thank you. Johnny, you came up. You got a question for Jen. Love to hear it. Welcome. Um, you know, with FTX... And with this, um, Twitter's the first to have the information. Twitter might be the only place where you can find certain information. But I also find that um, as, a, as a group, CT is very panicky. And they, I think there's a lot of armchair experts that spread a lot of information that's just false um, or just hysterical. And then it kind of cools out and we all pretend like it didn't happen. It, I wonder if you... If you think CT is, I don't know, to, from the people we are, the conspiratorial, maybe anti-government, if we're prone to misinformation, and, and how do we, how do we clean that up? How do we create, you know, authorities on on truth and education when there's so much information going around? So, one that begs another question is like, is there a such thing as universal truth, right? Um, there can be statistics that are fact, but then how they're interpreted is different. And this is something, another rabbit hole, my brain went very far down in 2020, 2021, right? Of like, oh my God, we need like a non-biased news source that is just facts. But like, how do you even vet that? Um, I've used Twitter, like this was a burner account that I turned into my art account when Instagram got deleted and now I end up spending more time on it. But like Twitter has been my most consistent social media since 2011. And like one of my things with Elon taking it over is like, in, especially for news and in times of protest and right, like Twitter is an amazing place for spreading information. And I hope that it remains for that reason. Um, I also think Twitter is probably partially responsible for, you know, the downfall of mainstream media because they just started making sensationalized clickbait headlines. Um, but like, I don't know, I haven't had cable uh, ever, like when I lived in my parents' house, but like I am pay for cable in college. I've never paid for it as an adult. I don't watch the news. Um, and I was home with my parents for the past two months and like they put on the news every night. And I was like, I already know all this shit from Twitter, TikTok, whatever. I saw this two days ago. Like um, and realistically, like news, if you look at it right, news networks are contacting people on social media 
to get permission to use them as a source. So um, look, I think like, it's not just crypto Twitter that's prone to misinformation. It's not just crypto Twitter that's prone to uh, sensationalized stuff. And this goes back to like algorithms. And, you know, there's a lot of documentation that, you know, I don't know if it's human nature or how we have been trained to interact on these platforms, but like negative information is spreads a lot faster. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how all these platforms are incentivized to keep us on here and, and get us emotional. And so I do think that they're the only regulation on socials I would like to see is like, hey, if you're going to be shown one extreme, be also shown the other, right? Like, you guys know where all of the information that we are being seen falls on whatever scale. And so diversify that information, which maybe goes against how these things were built. But like, that's the only like thing that I want. And I don't think that's like, anti-free speech it's just like let's expose people to multiple viewpoints and try and get them critically thinking um you know i think that schools should teach uh how to vet information and if you go to school in florida versus you know california you're going to get a completely different course so i i maybe not realistic um and so that's kind of up to us but i do think like media literacy or like internet literacy is also a thing that's important. Um, I, I don't think it's specific to crypto. Um, I, I think we've seen so many situations where, you know, every, everything is doomsday and, uh, you know, we've, we've lived through a lot of doomsdays and we're still here. So I think, having a reality checks with yourself and, and community. And I think like, I don't know, I know there's communities that I go to every time something in crypto happens. Sometimes I just put my phone off. Like I was not stressed about USDC. I, I bought the dip. I was like discounted dollars. Yes. Um, but you know, I think that having and like having multiple groups that maybe look at things differently and like talking to all of them and then going back and assessing is kind of the best thing you can do. And and right now individuals probably have to take that in their own hands. But um, yeah, I, I try really hard to look at like all extremes of every situation um, or groups that could be considered extremist. And 99% of the time they're saying the same thing, but yeah. You know, what's really cool to, to add on to that, Jen, is that we're seeing an incredible revolution happening right now with Twitter and these Twitter spaces, because it's essentially the relaunch of what I like to compare it to is kind of AM talk radio. And that is something that has essentially fallen off. Um, but we get to listen in real time. And, and this weekend, if you sat in these mega spaces that was kind of breaking down what was happening in this particular instance with this particular news cycle that was trending over the weekend, yes, you did hear a lot of views. You did hear a lot of talking heads. You did, you did have to filter who was, who was in it to, to generate engagement and to perpetuate fear. Of course, that's always something we always have to measure. But you also, to, to your point, they were, they were essentially 
uh, getting the scoop on things before the media was. Uh, we were learning more about what was happening in real time from these Twitter spaces than the media was even learning. And Jenko and I experienced that when we talk about Web3 legal developments. A lot of times we'll talk about things on the show, and then two or three days later, we'll see it reported on Cointelegraph and these other websites. So it's fascinating that we have the opportunity to be in this little uh, ecosystem of crypto Twitter where we do get this information in a way that is curated and, and is in advance of how a lot of other people get it. And that's a tool I think that we can use to our advantage. Do you agree with that overall thesis? A thousand percent. And I think we need to protect it and keep it going further. Right. Like you also have to think, and and I've worked at media publications. Right. Um, and then I've also been on like the other side of it where I pitch them for press with clients and like, there's a process and, good media uh, with journalistic integrity, which I say and uh, with a little bit of sarcasm these days. Uh, but, I, you know, you have to go through multiple processes to vet your sources. It's going to take time. And now all of us can be our own source, which is uh, awesome. And also, you know, uh, I, I think a blue check does not mean you're qualified to talk about anything and everything. And so that's a whole different topic. And I don't think Twitter has done it perfectly, but I, I do think that just checks of you're a human, you are a politician, you are a doctor, right? Like different kind of, you are an influencer, like different types of categories um, because there's a lot of people that just trust everything that they see. But yeah, I, I think social has incredible power to show things in real time and it also takes away um, the ability for certain people who are used to controlling narratives uh, to be able to do that. And um, I think it's really possible and also why it's probably at huge risk. And once again, like something we really need to fight to keep and keep innovating in that space. Um, and, you know, maybe create a system that's incentives are a little different than the socials of Web2 um, so that we can keep talking and having these great convos. I love it. I mean, that's an awesome, awesome place, I think, to close the conversation. Jenko, anything in your uh, on your side that came up as we were having that conversation before we wrap up with Jen that you want to add? No, just thanks again, Jen. Ira, thanks for jumping up, Johnny, and everyone in the audience. Jen, I, I just, it's always, it's like more than a pleasure. Like, I always learn things. I always get, like, energized. I always, like, get a little, like, pep in my step and attack things better after, like, listening to you. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, guys. I uh, know I really appreciate you guys. I think it's really good to have people that uh know what they're talking about um because you hear a lot of people saying a lot of things and it's like ah that's not how shit works and i don't always know how shit works um so it's great to be able to kind of fall back to that and yeah i appreciate this combo and i'm really glad we had it we should do it again soon and yeah thanks everyone for listening and dms are open if you have ideas on how to save the world yeah, and definitely give Jen a follow if you're not already doing so. 
And to everyone who joined us today, we always appreciate you. I see Laura out there, Sarah, thank you for taking time. Uh, we've got one of our former guests that was on the show, Carrie Ross. Sarah's been on the show before. So always, always a pleasure. Maybe we'll get you up here one of these days, Laura. Uh, we'd love to have you in the conversation as well. Jenko, as always, I love doing this with you. I learned so much. And Jen, thank you for what you do for the space. And again, thank you to everyone who joined us today. Peace. Thanks.